Are plans being hatched behind the scenes for another round of mask mandates and business restrictions? At the moment, we're in a crisis. We're not in crisis mode. Our numbers are increasing. They've been increasing now for a week or 10 days. Delta, Delta, Delta. Obviously, none of us has a crystal ball, so none of us knows what the next few weeks and months are going to bring. With hospitals filling up and new alarm bells being rung over the COVID virus, this half hour, we push aside our regular reporter roundtable to bring you the heavy hitters in public health. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlies Borley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello and welcome, I'm Nick Haynes. I love the reporters who join us each week on this program, but they'll be the first to tell you they are not medical experts. Yes, they may enjoy watching hospital dramas on TV, but we have at least one guest, in fact, who struggles to even remove those little strips on the back of a Band-Aid. So this week, around the cosy confines of our virtual table are some people with a different set of skills. They are the men and women in charge of managing our local COVID response and overseeing our vaccine program. Julianne Van Lu is Director of Health in Wyandotte County. That's a part of our metro with the lowest vaccination rates, which might help explain why they launched a spin-to-win campaign this week to encourage more people to get the shot. But are those incentives working? We'll find out. Also with us is Dr. Sanmi Ariola. He is Director of Health in Johnson County, a job he started last March just as the pandemic began. How's that for timing? And speaking of timing, Kansas City Health Director Rex Archer is also with us. We're interrupting him as he's packing his boxes in his office this week. He's about to retire after more than 20 years on the job. Dr. Archer, though, with all of these warning signs now about COVID and Delta variants, are you hatching a plan behind the scenes and meeting with the mayor and the city council to impose looking at new vaccine rest or new restrictions on masks, new restrictions on businesses? We are watching this Delta variant very, very closely, and it is very concerning. And as you probably have heard, there are other jurisdictions, uh, Chicago, et cetera, that are already saying unvaccinated folks that come from Missouri and Arkansas, uh, you've got a quarantine. You can't just come in and spread the disease. So uh, we've got some concerns, uh, but we're part of a metro area where almost none of our residents uh, in any of our areas live, work, play, pray, shop just in their jurisdiction. So. If we put something forward in one jurisdiction, uh, it's going to have minimal effect unless we all do it. Well, you, um, Julian, are in a county with some of the lowest vaccination rates. Are you meeting with the mayor of Wyandotte County and the commission in the unified government about imposing new restrictions? We really are not at this time. Like Rex said, we are in the business right now of monitoring this very carefully. We are not right now looking at reimposing any restrictions. I'm assuming in Johnson County, Dr. Ariolo, where you already have uh, almost 70, more than 70% of people in some zip codes in Johnson County who are already vaccinated, there would be no need for you to impose anything new, right? In the region, we don't have walls around the counties or cities. We have people that live in Johnson County and work uh, in other uh, surrounding counties and vice versa. And so we have to look at this uh, collectively. We know that when a CDC said those that are vaccinated could resume activities like they were prior to being vaccinated, we knew that others that are not vaccinated were going to do the same thing. 
And so we knew the, we expected cases to rise. Delta has exaggerated that rise and, and the concern is higher for us uh, public health professionals. And for those that are yet to be vaccinated, wear masks. All of those continue to be important, not just in Johnson County, but across the region. We need to put this in context, do we, Dr. Archer? I see, for instance, I was just looking at the state of Missouri's dashboard, and they say there are now currently 1,284 people hospitalized in the entire state of Missouri. Yet, if you go to the week of Christmas, December 22nd, there were over 2,800 patients hospitalized. That was more than double. Um, so while this might have been an uptick, isn't this still, though, only a fraction of the cases we've had in the past during this pandemic? This is unacceptable to have this many people from a preventable disease that would not be in the hospital if they were vaccinated, uh, taking valuable and costly healthcare time from others. And it's affecting our economy. Um, you know, when folks are canceling events in the state of Missouri right now um, because of our out of control epidemic, because people won't take personal responsibility, yeah, we're, we've got a concern. The big push, of course, is getting more people to get the vaccine, certainly in Wyandotte County, as I mentioned, which has some of the lowest vaccination rates, about in the low 30s right now. Did you see they're now raising the stakes there this week, throwing cash and gift cards at Wyandotte County residents in what they're calling the spin-to-win campaign. Step right up, get the shot, and win that prize, a chance to win $500 gift cards and other prizes. Uh, are there, has anybody shown up, uh, Julian, to the vaccination spin-to-win uh, event this week and said, I would never have come if you weren't offering me an opportunity to win a gift card? Well, it's difficult to point at any one particular factor and definitively say why someone is coming or not coming. Some people just need that extra nudge to get there. And so this is not a be-all, end-all. This is not a silver bullet. This is one piece of the puzzle of nudging people to make that final decision to get in their car and shell up. And, you know, we again, we can't say definitively, but our vaccination rates were declining with with fairly rapidly. And when we began our incentive program, that decline did level off fairly significantly. Yesterday was the first day of our second phase of the incentive program, and we had a significant uptick in the folks who came through yesterday. Are private companies donating all of these gift cards, or is this coming from your federal COVID cash in Wyandotte County? So there is no federal, local, or state dollars that are going into this. This is philanthropic money that is paying for these incentives. Dr. Ariolo, I haven't seen you spinning any wheels in Johnson County, you know, asking people, come and get the vaccine. Is that because you don't believe these programs work or that you don't have a problem in getting enough people to be vaccinated in Johnson County? For us, uh, every option is on the table. The, the goal remains the same, to get the vaccine into the arms of as many of our residents as possible. We have been to churches. We went to the Islamic Center. We have reached out to several of our apartment complexes, especially in parts of the county where vaccination rate is not as high as we want. The biggest concern right now for us is, can we get the numbers up for our school-age children as schools come? And we're going to be working and meeting with the superintendent later today. Every option is on the table. We're using multiple approaches uh, even though uh, it appears that numbers are higher, it's not where it needs to be. There's a lot of work to do. But, you know, we, we've been hearing a lot about this sort of 70% mark for vaccinations. If most people are not wearing masks anymore, there's no business restrictions, uh, what, what does the 70% mean any longer? I see, for instance, in Wyandotte County, 
uh, Julian, that it, it, you have projections there. It's going to take 15 months for you to get to 70%. In Clay County, it's 22 months, which will take us into 2023. But why is that so significant to get to 70%? It's really not about that number. So long as there are significant pockets of unvaccinated folks in our community, there's opportunity for the virus to not only spread, but to mutate. And so we are much less actually focused on that number or what we call herd immunity than we are just the day-to-day -day grind of getting out in the community, like Sami mentioned, being where people are and bringing the vaccines to people. That's where our focus is. Now, getting more people vaccinated doesn't come without its challenges. Missouri Governor Mike Parsons says there are definite limits on what officials should and shouldn't be doing. For one, health workers should not be knocking on people's doors, encouraging them to get the vaccine. We've had the federal authorities on the ground on many different occasions, and we want them here to assist. But it depends what that role is. I, I'm just saying you don't need the federal government coming in here, going on people's door to door on private property, trying to either force somebody to take a vaccine. Governor Parsons speaking earlier this week in Kansas City. A number of experts, though, say, why aren't we doing more to bring the vaccine to the people? How about at our big sporting events? Shouldn't we be offering people the vaccine when they're headed to Kauffman Stadium into sporting Kansas City games and while people are tailgating at Arrowhead? Why not Rex Archer bringing it to the uh, Westport Entertainment District of an evening? You could be having a booth out there. With the exception of the homebound, access to getting vaccinated is not the real challenge right now. Anybody that goes to a grocery store that has a pharmacy can probably get the vaccine there. And if it's like Hy-Vee, you can get a $10 gift certificate. So it's not access per se. Um, now, yes, just knocking randomly on people's doors is not the way that we normally approach things. We're not forcing anybody to get the vaccine. So the governor's got that wrong. But we are using our EMTs, paramedics. We are calling those that are homebound, that can't get out, that want to get vaccinated, and are taking vaccines to people's homes. Uh, but that's because the, the voters, the people want it. And so we are doing that. Um, we are going to have a surge that is totally preventable this fall when kids come back to schools and many of the school districts are under tremendous pressure to not have their kids wearing masks, even though the kids under 12 can't be vaccinated and the outbreak is going to explode, we will have a shortage of hospital beds. We will be taking parents home, watching sick kids or kids that are being quarantined because folks aren't wearing masks or can't be vaccinated. Well, let's, let's get into that. A lot of our viewers have questions about our schools and our kids. Remember, everyone heads back to class next month. Dr. Ariola, you are one of our local officials ringing alarm bells about this. Here's what you said earlier this week. One fallacy that we must refute is the misinformation that children don't get infected or children don't get sick. Nothing can be further from the truth. It is not true. Why is it then that nearly every school district in Johnson County has now announced they'll be coming back in a few weeks and masks won't be required? What information do our local school boards have, uh, Dr. Ariola? What do they have in their possession that you don't? Uh, up until April, there has been 1.5 million infections in children aged 12 to 17. 13,000 of those resulting in hospitalization. We are actually seeing more, a lot of the infections that we are seeing are occurring in younger people. The reason why we're able to keep our schools open last year was because we were, we had the kids and staff wearing masks. 
We were testing very broadly. We were um, isolating infected persons. We were doing effective contact tracing. If you don't, the school environment is a perfect environment for the virus to spread. And so that's the message that we have to make sure that uh, the schools understand, that the school boards understand, and that parents understand. But we want to make it very clear. If you go to schools without masks, you're going to put a lot of children at risk. Some people in the yeah. public, though, are getting very frustrated, Dr. Ariolo. They say there should be a sense of we have to accept some element of risk. You know, when for you does COVID end? I mean, is it when there's absolutely zero deaths in the entire metropolitan area from COVID? Or is there, is there a certain number you attach to that? You know, one of the more, more frustrating things about this is we could really have control over the spread of this virus. We've got vaccines that are very, very effective. We've got them available, unlike other parts of the world where availability is an issue. We are having to battle uh, misinformation. Somewhere yesterday we were hearing a colleague that I worked with, uh, with for several years uh, being fired because she was promoting uh, vaccination in young children. These are really unfortunate times for for public health. Julian, I mean, I asked you earlier about, you know, 70%, that used to be the figure that we were shooting for, 70% of the population vaccinated, and we would say this is basically over. We have freedom. In fact, the president said that, freedom from COVID. Yet you said that's not a number that's important anymore. So for you, when is COVID over? To be honest with you, Nick, right now is not the right time to be asking the question of when should we stop being concerned? <laughs> Right now is the time to be very concerned. And so entertaining this conversation around when do we get to be done, it's a moot point because the fact is we have a very transmissible variant running wild in the metro. And so we need to stop looking for a crystal ball and hoping things will magically get better and start being serious about the fact that this is a problem right now. And like Sanmi and Rex said, it's gonna get worse this fall if we aren't taking it very seriously. Now, also, by the way, we talked about our K through 12 students, our colleges and universities head back to campus next month as well. So far, none of our area colleges are requiring the shot to begin classes, with two exceptions, Rockhurst University and William Jewell College. They're both requiring students to be vaccinated against COVID-19 prior to returning to campus. Again, none of our big universities requiring that. Our friends at KCTV5 got a snapshot of student views on that subject this week on the Country Club Plaza. If they make you wear a mask if you're not vaccinated, then that's fine. But I don't feel like people should be required to get a vaccine to go to college. I don't think that people should be required to get a vaccination, but I think it's definitely a good recommendation. Just because I just don't really feel like it, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, you all have colleges in your own areas. Dr. Archer, are you calling up the chancellor of UMKC, begging him to reconsider, begging him to have vaccinations for students? We've had a staff member actually on with the colleges and talking about this. Um, you didn't mention Kansas City University also, which requires their students to be vaccinated when they come back. Um, I like to look at it this way. The risk of getting COVID and having serious illness is way up here. The risk of any side effect from the vaccine is off the chart down here. At the same time, we also know, and this gets to the 70% figure, 70% may have been adequate for the original COVID that wasn't as transmissible as the Delta, but it's gonna have to either be higher than 70% or we're gonna have to have 20 or 30% of the population already caught COVID 
But again, remember this, getting the disease isn't as good a protection as being vaccinated. We actually know that people are more likely to get COVID again if they got the disease but didn't get vaccinated than if they got fully vaccinated. A lot of our viewers have medical questions they're still confused on. We'll get to those in just a moment. But first, one of the hardest hit hospitals in Springfield, Missouri, just put out a compelling story about one of their patients. His name is Russell Taylor. He's in his early 40s and he hasn't left his hospital room in nearly a month. I was one of those Americans that is like skeptical, not knowing who you can trust. And so I just kind of pulled back and took a stance of, well, if God allows it, then it must be. Because like my first day or two, I was, um, I just thought it'd be like anything else. Like, I'm gonna get through this, not a big deal. But it ended up, you know, it just ended up, that's what it attacked, was my lungs. I really thought I was gonna die. So that's probably the closest I've ever been to dying, um, I felt. Like I have a, a niece named Alicia that works here. And, um, you know, she'll come home and she'll talk about it. But it doesn't really register because it's not you. And then all of a sudden when it's you, it's like completely different. That's 42-year-old Russell Taylor. He's a patient at the Cox Health Hospital in Springfield. He was not vaccinated, but everyone now seems to have an anecdote of a friend of a friend who is vaccinated and still ended up in the hospital. Uh, Dr. Ariola, are you worried that the vaccine isn't as bulletproof as many people thought it was going to be? We knew that it's not 100% uh, effective in preventing infections. We knew that there would be uh, breakthrough infections. Uh, for those that are fully uh, uh, vaccinated, even when they have the breakthrough infections, the severity is remarkably uh, reduced. Look, we give our flu, flu shots that are 40, 50% uh, effective, and they're still very, very uh, uh, important in helping us prevent sickness, hospitalizations, and death. So uh, this is one of the more, uh, these are one, some of the more effective vaccines that we have, and they're working pretty well. Dr. Ariola, there was a time, of course, that public health directors were a very anonymous group of people. You now become sort of lightning rods of societal unease and displeasure. Has there been a point in this uh, more than a year now that you have been the Johnson County public health director that you thought, I'm getting too much aggravation, too much hate shown my way. I don't need this anymore. I, I don't need to have this job anymore. Well, since you asked, yes, I've received every kind of threats. Uh, some from elected officials have received messages that are pure uh, racist messages. We have done this, to be clear, at the tremendous cost to our health relationships and our families, and I do want to make that point. I see you uh, shaking your head there. So uh, you've had some of the same feelings, Julian? 
It's been hard. I, I, I'm not one for sugarcoating much. It's been extremely hard. There's no amount of schooling or education that prepares you for running a health department during a pandemic. It doesn't exist. You've had long days and long nights. I missed a lot of moments with my kid who was five months old when the pandemic hit. But if anything, it's given me a newfound resolve. I'm more committed to Wyandotte County. I'm more committed to public health than when this pandemic started. And so it's been a challenge, but it's given us all incredibly thick skin and it's given us new partnerships. And I, I look forward, honestly, to what we tackle together next outside of COVID. Yeah, did did that politicization, I... though, enter into your decision at all to uh, hang up your hat after more than 20 years as the head of public health in Kansas City, Dr. Archer? Yeah, I started 45 years ago taking on the tobacco industry, uh, dealing with the HIV AIDS epidemic and outbreaks and mistrust and accusations. Uh, you get a lot of threats. Um, so, you know, that's been part of public health. I actually, my wife and I had talked about moving into a teaching career um, back um, several years ago, and I was planning on it. Uh, for December of 2020. And then when this hit uh, in December of 2019, when I first started seeing rumors that this was going on, we we suspended that. We, we realized that uh, this was not the time that I could uh, uh, abandon ship. Um, I actually had hoped um, that here at the end of July, that if we hadn't had the Delta variant, we'd probably have this under a lot better control right now. Um, but that's really the problem, is that as long as we don't suppress this virus more than we have right now, it's the Omega variant that I'm concerned about that will really wipe people out, that eventually this is virus will continue to adapt and change, and then our vaccines won't work at all. You've complained. You've complained. Yeah, go ahead. You've, you've complained about the politicization of the, uh, the vaccine and how this has worked out. But you have also injected yourself quite tremendously into politics as well. I remember one tweet from a year ago in which you said um, President Trump should get a life sentence for causing more than 90 percent of America's COVID deaths. Do you regret, though, getting injecting yourself so intimately into the political scene as well as a public health director? The fact is that most of our job is political, that it's trying to deal with smoking or uh, living wage or predatory landlords that provide slum conditions for folks. Um, we have to deal with, and we are there for the people to protect them against those that would take advantage of them. And yes, when folks are purposely playing partisan politics to create dissension and to let an epidemic run because it appears to be only in blue states and it may hurt blue state governors, um, that had to be called out. Um, but but and, the fact that you're doing that, though, I mean, in the future, will we see a point where people just like you are no longer appointees? Uh, you are going to be elected officials yourselves. We're going to expect these public health leaders to, to be elected officials, just like we would an attorney general. So, so the problem that we actually have right now is, is it needs to go the opposite way, Nick. The average state health director lasts less than two years. You cannot effectively develop and run a good organization with that kind of a status. 
we need mandatory four or five year contracts for public health directors. And yes, if they decide to be removed, they can be removed, but their contract has to be paid out um, just like superintendents for schools. And that's what we need. Do we wanna to go to the military and say, okay, all generals have to be elected now? Um, that That's just absurd. And that's the problem with, with public health is, we are more important than the military and law enforcement in protecting lives and quality of life in this country, and we're not uh, getting the resources we need. You are public health directors. You're not COVID directors. I, I want to end with this. I mean, what, what have you been missing because of this laser beam focus over the last year on dealing with this virus? I was just looking at some of the raw numbers, Julian, in uh, last year, 32,000 more heart disease deaths than the year before. Um, we were looking at 13,000 more diabetes deaths in 2019 across the country than the year before. What else has been left behind? number of things have been left behind, but honestly, we can't undo the last 15 months. What we can do and what my team is pretty laser focused on doing is taking the momentum we've built and really capitalizing that. We've built tremendous new partnerships with for-profit business, with churches that are, we have so much trust with so many more community partners than we did a year and a half ago. And so what real, we are focused on is using that to tackle these upstream social determinants of health issues in new ways as we move into the coming year. What did we miss, Dr. Archer? Well, a former um, Secretary for Health and Human Services, Michael Levitt, said, everything we do before a pandemic will seem alarmist. Everything we do after will seem inadequate. And we've not learned the lessons from this pandemic to prevent the next one, which is likely to be even worse and could start on a pig farm here in Missouri. So we, we're, we're not gearing up and taking this seriously. And you're right, we have a 15, 20 year difference in life expectancy between different zip codes in Kansas City, Missouri. We have all kinds of issues that we should be working on, have been trying to work on, but when you're working 60, 70 hours a week trying to manage COVID, which became the number one cause of death in some groups and categories over this last year, um, it, it has been a challenge. And that is where we need to wrap up this conversation. Thank you to our heavy hitters in public health. I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.